Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 21st, we are studying Amos chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. The prophet sees his fifth and final vision. Amos sees the bring about his inescapable judgment upon his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have learned. Pastor Finnern serves at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. So, Pastor Finnern, get us started this morning with some context. Where have we been in the book of Amos? What's going to be helpful to us as we dig into these verses today? Um, well, <laughs> there's a lot There's a lot going on um, in, in Amos 1 through almost into 9. One of the, the things I heard recently about Amos uh, is it's a, a book about dead heterodoxy, which is the understanding of uh, heterodoxy means false teaching and a reminder that when, when we worship false things, it leads to death. And really the first, well, the whole book, besides the last few verses, is God coming to Amos um, as a shepherd, uh, as really literally out of nowhere, calls him to go to the northern part of uh, Israel, going to Israel, and, and to proclaim to them that they are worshiping wrongly, that they're worshiping um, false gods, they're worshiping in a false place, um, and that when you worship wrongly, you will um, lead to death, as opposed to when you worship rightly, worship the one true God, in truth and purity, it will lead to life, forgiveness, salvation, which we obviously understand today um, as in Christ. And so really, the first uh, number of chapters, especially right before we come to today, is it, it goes into the visions, but he calls out everybody. I mean, he's not just calling out um, a small group of people um, in, in Israel. He's calling out everybody, all the neighbors he counts to in chapters 1 and 2, Syria, Philistia, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, um, all those groups. And then he calls out both Israel and Judah, and which is where um, Amos is from. He calls them out and says, you guys have been worshiping um, incorrectly. Not only that, but worshiping false things. And he goes through over and over and over again of showing them to repent, as John the baptizer would have called them. And Amos is that, um, his name also means burden, which shows you um, he must have been very beloved when he came and gave this message because it was a burden, as it is for us when ever someone um, preaches to us where we're doing wrong, that that's a burden. It changes the way I want to live, what my flesh wants to do. So it comes to chapter um, 9. It's the fifth and final vision given to Amos, which tells of what God is planning to do to his people if they do not repent. And so it, the, the end is now. I mean, he's showing directly what is going to happen. And it's not the most exciting of, um, how do you say it, it's not a, a joyful book. It's very much so, you know, it's like his um, name, burden. It's a burden upon all of us. But also it shows us all of our needs to repent and look back to the Lord. I want to go back to that phrase that you used at the very beginning, dead heterodoxy. Was That's yep. what you, you said, Amos could be considered a book about dead heterodoxy. And I think that that phrase, dead heterodoxy, is intended as a, a play on another phrase, the idea of dead orthodoxy. Right. So if, if I understand the way that phrase is sometimes used, the idea of dead orthodoxy would be a criticism of those who are only concerned about right teaching, that somehow the concern or the desire to have right teaching, because that's what orthodoxy means, is right teaching, mm -hmm. that that would somehow 
lead to death that that you yeah sure you care about the right teaching but are you are you really living it right you're you're not really alive by dead orthodoxy but I, but i think what you're saying and I, rightly so and i'd like just to to expound upon a little bit more is that really orthodoxy is what brings life the right teaching and right worship that's what truly will give life and amos is here preaching precisely that to the people the reason that they're living has gone all wrong because he's had plenty to say about about the way they've been mistreating the poor and the those who are um, oppressed the reason that's gone wrong is really because they've got this matter of dead heterodoxy going on um, expound upon that a little bit more pastor Pinner. yeah yeah well it's a it's a wrong plan words when you look at the other that many people say is dead orthodoxy well that's just not not even true, because if you have right teaching, that's where God gives us life. I mean, specifically, when we have Jesus right, um, then you'll fully understand that what he gives is forgiveness, life, and salvation. And that's what life is, is the forgiveness and the resurrection realities that Jesus um, did and Jesus continually gives. And so it's really a fun—I mean, this is where this this book can be really fun, because if you just look at Amos— by itself, you're like, oh man, I just feel like a downer. But when you, when you realize it in that whole understanding of all of Scripture, it points us to the reality of who we are, and the reality of who we are is as a sinner. And so when we say dead heterodoxy, it actually makes a whole lot more sense and actually follows through in everything that if you don't have the right teachings, and specifically of, of the Lord, the triune God, and of Jesus, you're just going to start chasing your tail, and you're going to look more inside and look more at what you've done, and the more I know personally, when I look more at what I've done or not done, that doesn't give me new life. That makes me realize more and more why I need something from the outside of who I am. And that's the beauty of Amos is that he is he's pointing to, you keep looking at yourself, you're trying to worship your own things, you're going to Bethel, even though Bethel is this great and wonderful place, um, you're going there and worshiping the wrong things, and you're just looking at oneself, your own pride. You're not even, you're focused so much on yourself, you're not even looking to other people. And by you're not looking to other people, because you're not looking to the Lord. And uh, so, dead, I, I love how it was said, dead heterodoxy, to remind us that when we look at ourselves, and when we look at um, those kind of things, we're going to do nothing um, but lead to death. But Christ gives us life. Right. So the, the dead heterodoxy, then, what we are seeing here in chapter 9 is the end result of that dead heterodoxy, where now we are going to get to see the Lord, but rather than seeing him for the purposes of salvation, life, grace, we're going to see him for the purposes of, of death. And, and rather, again, as, as we've seen in these last two chapters, particularly how, how Amos's imagery just gets grimmer and and darker every time and and it only continues here in the the fifth vision so i'm going to go ahead and and read that for us pastor finner and again we're in amos chapter 9 verses 1 through 4 i saw the lord standing beside the altar and he said strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people and those who are left of them i will kill with the sword not one of them shall flee away not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them, for evil and not for good. There's Amos's fifth vision. And as we get started into it, Pastor Finner, uh, help us to, to connect this vision with the previous four. How, how do they build up to this? What are the similarities that we see? What are the, the differences that set this one aside as the fifth and final one? Well, I mean, there's a number of things. Clearly, they're all different. Locust, fire, plumb line, a basket of summer fruit, um, and so he's he's laying it out. He's bringing up ideas from um, other parts of Scripture, um, clearly with uh, the plagues, um, the plumb line. You know, they need to be straightened out, uh, the fire, so forth. But when you come to the fifth one, and one that I would like to um, look at the most, is that the other ones, he shows what he's going to do. The Lord, you know, shows uh, Amos what he's going to do. 
But in the fifth one, it emphasizes in the first verse, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. And so there's something different here um, that this is not, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. It's this is what I'm doing. The end is now. And so that's that's one of the things that um, really struck me when I read that is here he is revealing himself right in front of him in case there's any question marks on anything and say, here it is. This is happening now. The end is the end is now. This is what's going to be. Mm. Yeah, that that really does s- separate this vision from the other four. That rather than being shown something, Amos simply looks and now he sees the Lord himself. And previously in chapter four, the Lord had described all these plagues that he had sent upon the people of Israel in order to bring them back. And, and time and time again, the response from the Lord was the same. You didn't return to me. And and the conclusion of that says, you know, prepare to meet your God. And and here he is now in, in chapter nine, prepare to meet your God. Here he is. He he meets them. Amos sees the Lord standing beside the altar. And and so we, we probably need to understand at least two things from those those words, Pastor Finner. And first, what is it what does it mean that Amos saw the Lord? We've got places in the scripture where we can look and it says, you know, no one can see God and live. And and then two, I think we also want to look at well, what is what is this matter of the altar that the Lord is standing beside? So let's let's talk about the, the first part first. What does it mean that Amos saw the Lord? Well, I mean, first of all, it's quite terrifying. You know, in mm-hmm. Exodus 32, uh, uh, Moses uh, writes about um, that you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live, the Lord writes. And, uh, well, you know, you see this in Exodus chapter 3, too, with Moses, when he, when he sees mm-hmm. the burning bush and God starts speaking, and he hides his face out of fear, because it's just like any of us, it's much like, when, um, when, uh, when I like, for example, when my kid does something, my, when my children does something wrong, and I call them on it, they don't look at me right in the eye. Is that they look down because they know they're not worthy? Well, that's on a whole different level when it comes before the Lord. Is because He's perfect. Um, his wrath it, it clearly has been laid out throughout these chapters. And so if you see him, his face, I mean, you should be disintegrated. We were not worthy to be in the presence of God because we're sinful. He is not. He expects perfection, and we are clearly not. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see that, that theme over and over again is the terrifying reality of if you see the Lord, wrath is about to come. And so Amos sees that the the wrath is about to come quite literally. Do you want to, I mean, is there, how does that then, this idea of, of seeing the Lord, because you do have prophets see the Lord, and in one of the visions uh, we were talking about that that when a prophet has a vision, you know, he's he's invited up into this heavenly council, and he gets to see for a moment the the curtain pulled back, as and to see things as, as God sees them, and, and here, you know, again, it says, I saw the Lord, Amos, or not Amos, Isaiah, very famously says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, he, he cries out, you know, woe is me. He recognizes this. So, I mean, Amos here sees the Lord, and, and he's not struck down. How does, how does that happen for the prophets? How does that happen for us? Well, I mean, you look uh, by God's grace. I mean, this is a, um, a reality of when we see the fullness of God, which is found in Christ, that he took these prophets and he lifted them up to his level, and said, you know, here it is. This is, uh, you open the curtain, you're able to see the glory of God and not die. Um, same with the white came in a bush and so forth. And all of it's only simply by grace. Uh, you see this also in the New Testament, the only way, no one has ever really seen God um, in the fullness, John chapter 1. But we know that the fullness of God has been revealed in Christ. So there's always that, that mediator, that intercessor um, person, uh, which is Christ, who comes before us and the fullness of God dwelled in him and he gets revealed to the prophets by lifting them up into that level and it also gets revealed to us because the fullness of God is found in Christ. So it really gives us a 
an understanding of the only way we can see God is by God's grace, and we see the fullness of that in the New Testament, that, that grace is fully found in Christ and uh, His work um, for us as sinners. So, so today, then, we are right to say that when we look at Jesus, we truly do see God, but rather than seeing God and dying, we see God and, and live. Is that, is that right? Yep, yep. Well, I mean, Hebrews 1, it talks about um, God spoke, spoke to the, the fathers um, through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, showing that we see the complete fullness that John 1 talks about. We've seen completely who God is, and when we look to Christ, which is Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, it is there that we see um, full life, for each one of us, and that's and that's you know, um, and that's one of the cool things about looking at the prophets in the Old Testament is that you get a glimpse, you get that little glimpse, clearly pointing us to Christ in the New Testament and our lives today. That they got, uh, they saw part of heaven, and we get to see the fullness of it um, through the lens of the cross. Um, that's where it's a um, an understanding of of Jesus before Jesus came, just that wonderful slice of what our Lord gives to us. And so when, when we then talk about seeing Jesus and so seeing God today, we also know from the New Testament that we live by faith and not by sight. So just to, to kind of help draw this the full way through, Pastor Finnern, hmm. how is it that we actually do see Jesus and so see God today, even if, if we're living by faith rather than sight? Well, I mean, we'll keep it, we'll keep it very clear. Uh, we see Christ um, through His Word, as we and today looking at Amos that so we see, um, we see a, a glimpse of Christ. We see Him in in, in the Scriptures, and we hear those stories. For example, when uh, you go to worship, that is a time where that that salvation is literally thrown or um, uh, uh, given into your heart. Uh, the the Holy Spirit reveals that what is this whole Bible about, but points us to Christ and shows us His life, death, and resurrection. At the same time, for example, at two weekends ago we had um, a baptism, which Jesus tells us, therefore go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there we see Christ. We see Christ coming to a little baby, which means if He can come to a baby, He can come to even the to the most helpless of individuals, the most sinful of individuals. Um, and, and we see it when we take the body and blood of Christ and the bread and wine, that you see Christ at work in today's world um, through the forgiveness, life, and salvation that comes through their wonderful gift. And, and ultimately, one, the, the, the way we see um, Christ with all those things, it comes down to one thing, which is the forgiveness of sins, that... Um, that from the time of Adam and Eve, we needed redemption, we needed forgiveness, and, and it is Christ who says, um, who, who gives us those complete, uh, that complete forgiveness by his work on the cross. Though our sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. That's where we see Christ in those what we call means of grace, that the, the reality of Jesus 2,000 years ago come to us today through that word, through the water, through the bread and wine, through the forgiveness of sins, and comes to us right there, and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see those. Mm, that that's beautiful, yeah. And so, so in those means of grace, sometimes you know, we use that shorthand means of grace, uh, word and sacrament. Sometimes we'll use, but to to draw that out fully and and to see what exactly we are seeing that that in those things we see Christ as He is given to us, so that we we live rather than die. All the while, then looking forward to that day when we do see face to face quite literally with with these mine eyes as as job says um, we we will indeed see him face to face now of course again in amos he's seeing the lord and he sees him by grace but but he sees what the lord is about to do and he sees him standing beside the altar and and pastor finner in the series prior to amos we were looking at the book of exodus and we you know we spent a long time talking about the various parts of the tabernacle that was that was given by the lord and then of course that goes into the temple later with with solomon and one of the big pieces was the altar so what are, are we talking about that altar or are we talking about something different here in amos chapter 9 well i mean uh you know i, I would have to admit that i haven't really thought too much about the altar in heaven um, so I'm going to kind of take a step back here 
and have to think about that, but also wanted to get some of your insight because <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how I want to answer that right now. So we can collaborate on well, that? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that the this altar that we're talking about isn't the altar that the Lord gave to his people for the tabernacle, which at this time would have been replaced by the altar that would have been in Jerusalem, right? I, I think that right. when, when Amos is seeing the Lord standing beside the altar, he's, he's probably, we, we probably shouldn't picture him standing beside the altar in Jerusalem, but probably the altar in, in Bethel, where, where King Jeroboam I had set up that false, one of the false golden calves in the Northern Kingdom. I mean, that's, that's at least the way that, sure. that I'm reading that. Is, is that the sure. way that, does, does that take you in that direction too? That, or That clarifies it. Yeah. See, and I, I have to admit a little bit of, we just got done studying the book of Revelation. So I'm ah, trying to yes. think of the new Jerusalem, <laughs> the temple right. in heaven. And so, yeah, I'm filtering it through uh, Revelation. You're filtering it through Exodus. So this is good. Um, yeah, so you know, one of the amazing things about this book is the um, understanding in chapter seven when Amaziah, who's the priest of the temple in Bethel, um, King Jeroboam the second, that was at this time range, his father, King Jeroboam the first, clearly, um, built this temple in Bethel, and he built it basically so that people in, in Israel would not go down to Jerusalem and, and worship there. So it was like a counterfeit temple. It's this, it's this, this crazy, um, this crazy thing, and and so Amaziah uh, hears what Amos is saying and goes, "This is a bunch of baloney. You can't do this, you know." And he says, "You can't, you can't call out the king. He's the king. I mean, he built Bethel. He's just a, he's a good and gracious king." And then and then he and then he says towards the end of this, um, I'm trying to put Amos down. He says, "This is this temple is." the king's temple okay and this is this is very problematic um because you have you have the temple which clearly is the lord's and it started as a king um a king temple and so people were going there and worshiping but yet ultimately they probably ended it with uh in the in the name of jeroboam amen because they were not worshiping the one true god and this is even more terrible when you think about how um, Bethel was the place where Abraham built an altar to the Lord in Genesis 12, um, where Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, where they had the ladder up to heaven and he slept on the rock, and, you know, and there he was. He sees the ladder up to heaven with all the angels, and there's the place that he, he built an altar and, and worshipped the Lord at Bethel, called it Bethel because it means um, uh, the house of the Lord, okay, um, the God's house. And so they took this place that was the place to worship for, for the greats, the, the Jacobs, the Abrahams, um, and now it has become a place where it's just a counterfeit. It's not even real. And there God stands, probably, as you say that, I never really thought of it this way, stands beside that altar in Bethel and says, this isn't even real. Right, and it's—I mean—it's very ironic then to think about that because the the people have been thinking all along that the Lord is there standing beside the altar for for grace for them. They they think they've been deceived, or maybe they deceived themselves into thinking they're worshiping the Lord truly in this place. And as you pointed out, you know, I mean, they they had all kinds of history on their side. They thought, you know, look, this is where Jacob had his vision. So so surely. It's okay to to call this the house of the Lord. It's it's where he's been in the past, and and yet it it truly is a, a counterfeit Beth El. It, it only holds that name in in a false way, because the Lord has said that His name dwells somewhere else at this point in history. It's it's in Jerusalem, and and Jeroboam the first was was thinking more like a politician than a pastor when he set this place up in Beth El, and now the Lord stands beside it, not because he's there to save his people, but in fact because he's there to to bring judgment upon his people. It's a, it's a very striking picture to see to see it in that way. And I, I do think that's that's the altar that we should understand. Uh, hmm. Pastor Fenner, we have about a minute and a half left if you want to react to that before we take our break and then we'll we'll pick a few more themes up on the other side of the break. Yeah, you know, and it's just a, a reminder for us, first of all, in my own heart, is the understanding of how many times I'll say uh, the church I serve, that this is my church, 
you know. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I think that we're not, we're, I don't want to go so far as to say that anybody says my church, then they are. <laughs> They're the same problem that they had in Israel at this time. But I think it's a tendency of what I have to say is this, is this my house or is it God's house? Um, is this a place I'm coming to worship God or to worship something else? And so we have a total number of idols that surround us each and every day. And ultimately it comes down to, am I looking to the God of life, the God who gives new life, the God um, looking to the altar where he gives us the gifts, looking to the word to give us the gifts, and to be always aware of what idols we might be creating in our own hearts, um, and how can we focus, once again, on the God of the living. Yeah, idols, even in the place where we come to worship the true God. Now, again, Bethel wasn't that, but but for us today, right, idols, even in the place where we would come to worship the true God, how do we how do we take those those things and and set them above the true God and His Word that we are, are there to hear? Something that we would we would do well to examine our our hearts and, and consciences and to see where we where we ought to repent and turn once again to, to Christ and His Word for us. For you're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, November 21st. We're looking at Amos chapter 9, verses 1 through 4 with Pastor Brady Finnern of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Pastor Finnern, prior to the break, we looked at those first few words of verse 1. Amos sees the Lord standing beside the altar in Bethel, and then he hears the Lord speak. And the Lord says, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake. Shatter them on the heads of all the people, and those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. What, what are, what's the picture that, that the Lord is giving in these words of this fifth vision? Well, I mean, it, it's well. You have the picture of the um, capitals, which is different than what we think of in America as capital. But it's the top, top of the pillars. When you think of a, of the um, of the temple, you'd have those pillars in the front, and you have the very top of those would be the capitals, and and then, and then the threshold is the bottom of the door. You think about the bottom of the door, especially here in Minnesota right now. You always want to make sure that the threshold is it's to a point where you don't have cold air coming through. I always think about that when um, we try to make sure there's nothing coming through. That's a threshold of a door. So basically from the top to the very bottom is what he will strike. There'll be nothing left uh, um, that he will not strike. And, you know, this, um, this brings us to, you know, the reality that, that this structure, although um, very well made, although very well put together, is something that can be destroyed. It can be taken down. And so not only is the temple like it's going to be destroyed in off-peak hours, but basically everybody who's in there worshiping the, the false idols and everything else will be destroyed at the same time. If you just happen to be able to get out the door, you also will be destroyed um, if you are not in that place, if you're not worshiping the true God. So, so the idea—I mean, maybe to, to put it in terms that you know we would think of today—you're in church, and all of a the sudden there's this shaking, right? A, a striking of the building from top to bottom, and the building collapses upon all the people in church. And if anyone happens to get out of the building, they too are are still struck dead. That's the—I mean—that's the picture that Amos is is seeing here in this vision. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing will, you know, and then he really expounds on this in the next few verses because, you know, like any of us, um, when we think about sin um, or we think about judgment, we always try to find a loophole. I see this a lot in um, on confirmation class. You're teaching the Ten Commandments and, and young people and adults, too. I'll say that. 
is that they'll see a, a command of the Lord. You know, you shall have no other gods, or you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And and you read the explanations, and there's always a loophole. Like, well, yeah, but, you know, is so I miss one weekend right now because I went hunting. You know, I, I miss the worship. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I was hunting, and I was thinking about God the whole time. No big deal. Well, we're always trying to find loopholes. And so right now, he's trying to eliminate all the loopholes that people are saying. It's like, well, clearly, I will not be destroyed because I'm going to be in my house, not at the false place. Um, but no, the Lord will find you. And he even digs deeper into that in the next few verses. Before we before we move on to those those you know if they try to go to these various places a, a couple more thoughts on the on this first verse too mm-hmm. the the Lord you know Amos sees the Lord standing beside the altar and then he said so the Lord says strike the capitals it, it's a command to to someone to strike the capitals who who do you think he's talking to Pastor Fenner and who's he telling to strike the capitals. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great question. Actually, I am. Uh, huh. I haven't really thought about that one. How about you uh, try to answer that for me? Sure. No. Well, and, and so here's here's what I what I and I, I imagine that there's been plenty of ink spilled on this in commentaries. It, it doesn't seem likely that the Lord would be talking to Amos to do it. I mean, Amos is pretty well right. silent in this vision, which is that's another thing. You know, when you think about the visions, the first two visions, Amos interceded. The second two vision, or the the third and the fourth visions, then he he said what he saw, but that was it. And now this time he's totally silent. So I, I mean, I don't think he's talking to Amos. My my no. thought, given, and I, I think we've we've talked about this briefly already in this episode, that you know we see Amos repeating things from the book of Exodus, particularly the plagues are are you know mm. recounted, and so. Given now that we're at the end, and this is the end has come, thinking through the account of the Exodus and the ten plagues there, the tenth and final plague, you have this: the destroyer comes, and, mm. and which I think we're right to understand as as the Lord Himself ultimately is the one. So, so it's almost like you've got a um, an intertrinitarian conversation going on here, where where perhaps the the Father tells the Son, you know, strike the capitals, mm. or but but the Lord. Or, or similar in the way where he um, where he speaks in in creation, uh, let us make man in our image. That sort of thing perhaps is going on here in in Amos chapter nine. What what do you? I mean that's that's what I that's what I would think. But I'm I'm open to another suggestion. So, right, right. I mean, uh, some of the thoughts I have is like Psalm Gomorrah, where you have the two angels are sent, and so right. I have some of that going through my mind a little bit. Um, Revelation, you have all those different angels that are sent. Um, and so I, I guess I have some angel thought in there too, but I, sure. I, I fully agree with the, uh, the inner Trinitarian um, understanding there. Well, nonetheless, either way, there's going to be a strike, <laughs> and it's not right. going to be good. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I mean, and, and you think, of, I'm thinking too. Now, the Lord has been; he's often been called within the Book of Amos the Lord of Hosts or or Yahweh of right. Armies, the the God of Armies. And so, to either him, whether it's it's He's the one doing it as the general, or he he sends one of his commanders, you know, one of the, the angel armies to do this. It's still happening, and it and it's a, a terrible, terrible judgment that's going to come upon these idolaters who are there, both the the priests and the worshipers alike, and even even the idolaters who who aren't there. And and I, before before we go on to those, you know, if if they try to go to these places, you, you just have a note here in your notes about the destruction of the temple points us to Christ. And I, I'd like to I'd like you to just to, to dig into that a little bit before we move on. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one of the one of the um, one of the absolute great things when we look at the Old Testament, there's so much destruction, and there's been many times where I've talked to people who are either outside the faith or struggling um, with faith in general. And they read the Old Testament and they're like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like, I don't want anything to do with this kind of God that does this. And I remember in college, just so many conversations I had with uh, some roommates and others who were, you know, probably agnostic is the right word to tell them, to, to say to them that they would be, is they're just, I don't, I don't want to believe in a God like that. And one of the one of the things to think about too is that yeah, if God alone is all we see is His wrath in the Old Testament, and we just read the wrath and leave it, we are we are we are lost. We God looks like a terrorist, 
he just goes after people he doesn't like, you know, um, and, and you just you wonder what kind of God is this if you don't have a cross. And so in John chapter 2, you have Jesus um, saying that, you know, he goes to the, to the Jews and said, what sign are you going to do for us, they say. And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they're like, yeah, right, you can't do that, you know, all this. And then they didn't realize that he was not speaking about that temple. He's speaking about himself, the temple of his body. And the reminder that all this wrath from the Old Testament, all this destruction of the Old Testament, the destruction that's going to happen to the, um, that's going to happen to Bethel, the temple that is there, the counterfeit temple, all that wrath is not going to be poured upon us, but that wrath is going to be poured upon Jesus to point us to Christ. So all this talk of, of the temple being destroyed in the Old Testament, we see that in on the Babylonian captivity, we see it even after Jesus in 70 AD, all that destruction, one, makes us realize that we need something more, and the destruction is pointed to Christ, where he was destroyed on the cross, that he was taking the wrath of God, that God, um, when, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was literally God the Father turning his back on God the Son, and all the sins of the world was put on him to show us that destruction is not ours, but we look to the cross where the, he is dead, we look to the cross, that is where we live. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. description of, of, of pointing us always to Jesus. That's why you look through all the Old Testament, and it always goes back to Christ because he's taken this wrath that was poured that was about to be poured on God's people. Yeah, we, we need to keep that answer in the back of our mind then as we, as we go through verses 2 through 4 where the Lord says, if they go to this place or if they go to that place, I'm still going to, to find them there. Only, only when we flee into Christ will we go to that place where the Lord's wrath has already been spent upon, upon him. And so we there will find find grace. So yeah, we we definitely we need to keep that image in the back of our minds as we read through verses two through four to all these places that the Lord says, if they go there, I'm still gonna find them. So so Pastor Finner, start taking us through those those places. Verse two uh, you know, starts with in the ESV at least, if they dig into Sheol and and the ESV, that's a Hebrew word. It doesn't doesn't try to translate it into anything you know, English that we would know. But what should we understand when we hear Sheol? Well, you know, there's a lot of different translations, but in this context, um, my understanding of what I've seen is is a, a deep spot. Um, could also be um, put as a grave, uh, you know, low places. Ultimately, it is a, is a reference to the lowest place you can imagine as far as in the ground. Like you dig really deep into something, probably a grave. And, and say, that's how deep that is. If you dig deep into Sheol, which means as deep as you would bury a body, is how it, that's what I, what I read and saw that to be. Okay, and so, so then verse 2, the imagery is, if, if you go as deep as you can, the Lord's still going to find you. If you go as high as you can, I mean, is that, we're kind of going to the extremes here to say, there's nothing anywhere, there's no place anywhere, high or low, that you can go that you'll escape this judgment of the Lord. Is that the picture? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, in verses two, uh, verse 2, it has that complete um, uh, diametric of polis things, where you have the way up high in heaven. You can imagine how high that goes, you know, and then as low as you possibly go, which would be Sheol, um, he's going to find you. There's no way you can go up, even though they wouldn't fly in those days. But even in our, our vision, the highest you could go on an airplane, um, God would find you. And as far deep as you can dig, um, God will be able to find you too. Hmm. So verse two is low to high, and, and those are you know Sheol, heaven. These these are places that maybe you you can't really attain. They're more cosmic ways of speaking. But then in yep. verse three, there it's a bit more earthly. How does verse three work? Yeah, so it, it talks about hide yourself on the top of Carmel, and there's a, there's a few things that can go in this. That's just a really high level, especially for that area. And it also brings up other imagery for people. It starts with Mount Carmel. So it's kind of like this. It's good, like kind of, it's very much so a poetic language. So he starts with low in verse two, goes to high, and then he reemphasizes the high, and then he goes low in verse three. So the high point in verse three is Mount Carmel, which stood around 1,800 feet above sea level, which, I mean, this is no 
this is not the Rocky Mountains in America by any stretch, but it's it's high. I mean, definitely a place that they could get to without any major issue. You could see a long ways away. But it also brought up a theological understanding of of history is that this is where God would show his presence to Elijah and, and the Baal prophets to show how this, in many ways, he's using it to say, hey, remember in the past where um, people were worshiping the wrong, um, the wrong thing, the wrong God, and, and there was another reality of, of if you worship the real God, you lived. If you did not, like the Baal prophets, they were destroyed by the sword. So he's using this wonderful language to not only show them a high point, but also to show what happened there, that there, there was life and there was also death. Um, so that, that's the imagery there. Then he goes from the top of Mount Carmel um, and goes to the bottom of the sea and, and gives us an imagery of that you go to the bottoms of the sea and even there I can send a serpent to come and get you. Um, and that brings up all these other types of stuff. Like it brings up Jonah, uh, the understanding of, of, of Jonah trying to run, or run away from God. And even if you try to run away from God, you can be put into the belly of a big fish and God can still find you. That's the imagery that, that I was reading, which I thought was a wonderful connection. But then it also reminds you that when this serpent in the bottom of the ocean, which is clearly the, the lowest you can go in the world, even in the bottom there, the serpent can get you. And wherever a serpent gets you in the Bible, Genesis 3, um, Numbers 21, where the, the serpents were biting people, and, and that's where uh, um, people were dying, that that is a reminder that a serpent gets you. That's not good either, because that will mean death. So you can go on top of the mountain if you worship the wrong thing. I'm on Carmel. There will be death. If you go to the bottom of the ocean to try to hide or to worship whatever it might be, there will be death also. As high as you will go, low, wherever you may go, there will be death if you do not worship the one true and living God. Mm-hmm. So is uh, just to, to dig a little deeper into that that serpent imagery there in verse 3, when, mm-hmm. when the Lord says, There I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. You brought up Genesis 3, and and you know think about how the, the serpent, you get the great dragon in Revelation 12. Is, right. is that, I mean, are, are we to be thinking in that part of, of the Lord's words about the work of the devil, or, or is that taking it too far? Well, I think you can. I don't know if I would say that's exactly what he was referencing, but I think you can. You have the lake of fire in um, Revelation 20. And, you know, and I have to admit a little bias here. I, you know, I just got done studying Revelation, so I'm finding Revelation and everything. But there definitely is that, um, that dragon understanding of that this dragon is looking to seek and uh, seek whom he will devour like a roaring lion. Um, and so the devil was real then. The devil is real now. And, uh, uh, you know, repent, <laughs> basically, right. repent, and no, look to the living God. You know? Right, right, yeah. So so verses 2 and 3, then, no matter how high you go, or sorry, it starts with low, no matter how low you go, you can't get away from the Lord's judgment. No matter how high you go, you can't get away from the Lord's judgment. And then up again on, on the top, and then down to the bottom. So, so the people have thoroughly attempted to go high and low to get away from the Lord, and, and then the only other way to, to go is, is side to side, but it looks like verse 4 takes care of that, Pastor Finneran. Absolutely, yeah. And so he, and it's wonderful, Holly. Um, and that's what, you know, this is such a blessing to, to study this, is because uh, unless I were to study in four verses at a time, I would not have caught this. But that way that God um, comes to the prophets, and he comes to them in such an earthy way, uh, because, like I said, we will take what God's Word has to say, and we'll try to find loopholes. And in those loopholes, we'll say, okay, well, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe that. And God knows exactly what we're thinking. And so then he takes the high-low approach, and then he goes um, basically the east or west, you know, the horizontal. And we're thinking about the Babylonian captivity, which is still yet to come. But if someone took you into captivity, they're not going to take you— across the tracks. They're not going to take you just over the border. Usually they take you captivity and they take you clear across the countryside to something else. And so he uses the reference of uh, they go into captivity before their enemies, which would be clearly a long ways away. There you will be killed. Um, and, and, and I'll fix my eyes upon them and they're evil for not their good. And to remind them that any place you go, the eyes of the Lord can see you. And that can be quite a terrifying thought as we talked about at the beginning standing and seeing the Lord himself, 
that no matter where we go, the Lord has his eyes on you, and he knows what you're doing. And and Amos actually does bring that image up here at the very end of the text that we've got. It says, the Lord says, I will fix my eyes upon them, which I think for, for most of us hearing that as Christians, we're going to think that this is a, a good thing, that God would have his eyes upon us, or even in the, it's, it's not the exact same language, but it's close in the, the benediction that we, we use in you know, most services, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and, and lift his countenance, you know, turn towards you, look at you. But here, yeah. as we've seen Amos do elsewhere, he takes what we normally would hear as gospel language and he, he turns it around as a, a matter of condemnation, judgment and punishment. Right. And, and and this is unique because there's other parts in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 24, Ezekiel 37, where it talks about destruction, but it does give hope of a resurrection, or it does give hope of a refining, or that this is happening to help us to repent. But this is literally saying, I'll fix my eyes upon them for evil, and basically saying there will be nothing but destruction. There is no hope in verse 4. It is, um, there is nothing left. The, the wrath of God is upon his people, left, right, up, or down, as far as one can see. And there it is, the wrath of God put upon his people. So repent once again. Yeah, repent. One, one more thought that just was, and, and I should have said this first, but but the other thing about the going into captivity before their enemies that's very striking, mm-hmm. again, how the Lord just takes away all those loopholes like you were saying. You know, when you think about where you might go to, to run away from someone who's trying to get you, your first choice, you'd probably go to a friend's house. Here, here, Israel says, well, maybe maybe I could find refuge among my enemies. Maybe when when the Assyrians or the Babylonians, when they come, that will be the place where the Lord can't get me. And the Lord says, no, even there, I will still come and the judgment will will come upon you. So, so Pastor Fennon, you're right. I mean, this is, the end is here. It's now prepare to meet your God and there's, there's nothing left. And, and we've, we've done this throughout the, the episode today, but I want to be able to close. We've got just under six minutes left now to, to, mm-hmm. to help us understand this text as, as Christians. How do we hear this text today as Christians so that we will, as you've been saying all along, repent and, and look to Jesus. Again, we've got about five and a half minutes left to do that. Okay, yeah. Well, one of the things when we look at this is, as I mentioned before, is that understanding of who is Jesus. And um, they had a counterfeit temple, and Jesus is our temple, the true place of which um, to worship. And so it's not a place in Jerusalem, or definitely not in Bethel, not even in Jerusalem, but the place to worship is where we see Jesus. Um, And why is that such an important thing? Well, the wrath that is going to be poured out here, um, as we studied in our Bible study in Revelation, I'll mention it again, is that you have all these bowls of wrath that are poured upon the people. And and the other type of destruction that happens throughout the Old Testament is a reminder that God's wrath is ready to go. There must be payment for sin. And that's why... uh, when you look at wrath, it talks about in Romans 2 that there must be wrath and God's righteous judgment would be revealed when there's wrath. But that wrath has not been poured upon us, but it has been poured upon Jesus. Galatians 3 talks about curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. That is Jesus who became a curse for us um, from the curse of the law to be a curse for us. And pointing to the cross once again when, when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It not only points to Psalm 22, but it points to that reality that all the forsakenness and wrath that has been, that would be supposed to be poured upon us points it to Christ. And as he, we cannot hide from him, is this beautiful imagery in the psalm, as far as the east is from the west, so does he, um, does he remove our transgressions for us. And that is why we are able to fix our eyes on Jesus, as I said before, the author and perfecter of our faith, because he's the one who endured the cross, took on that wrath, despised the shame of it, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the altar that will not be destroyed, unlike Bethel. And there we look to Christ, who takes all that wrath upon himself, so that we can live in life, forgiveness, 
and salvation. So, I mean, the only way that we can hear this text with any sort of hope is to see Christ <laughs> as our hiding place. Well, I mean, it's it's hard. This, I don't. I think you probably did. Almost every guest in this series has has you know you you just got the short straw, just like everybody except for one who gets to look at verses eleven through fifteen, where there's very clear gospel, <laughs> right? Um, but but we've we've always got to have our eyes turned towards it. We we need to hear the law, and we need to hear its its harshness, so that we so that we know the full comfort and and sweetness of the gospel. And, and I mean, a text like this certainly gives us that because the mm-hmm. Lord does. I mean, he, he takes away every single hiding place that we could think of. And, and he says, you're not going to be able to hide there. The only true hiding place that we have is, is Christ our Lord. And, and I mean, that's, that's where we, we've got to, we've got to get there. If, if we're going to find any hope at all, Pastor Fenner, just, just under two minutes for any final thoughts. Well, I mean, this is where the this is where the great hope is um, in our life. I, you know, I've been working with um, just a lot of people, and I know it myself. But there's just a lot of anxiety out there, identity, um, wondering who am I in this world, and uh, like I do in my confirmation class, I'll say who who am I, and they will say a sinner. Like that's who we are. It's very clear. This is what we deserve. But the hope we have in such an anxious world, trying to find identity is this identity that we find in Christ, that the wrath of God is not placed on us, but is put on Christ. And who am I in Christ, which we would say without any doubt or any, any um, worry that I am a forgiven sinner, and the Lord has come before me and has said, you are my child. That, in an anxious world, is, is just sweet to the soul, clearing the conscience and understanding of who we are in God. Uh, what, a, what a joy that is. Pastor Brady Finnern is the pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Pastor Finnern, thank you for your time today. Thank you. God bless. The prophet sees this final vision, the Lord standing beside the altar, ready to pour out all of his wrath. There will be absolutely no hiding place, no matter how high they go, no matter how low they go, no matter how far east or west they go, even into the camp of their enemy, there will be no hiding from the Lord's judgment, except except in the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his flesh, which is the true temple, where God dwells for us, now sacrificed and also risen from the dead, now given in the Holy Supper, his own body and blood, in that hiding place, in the Lord Jesus Christ, there we find life and forgiveness and salvation now and forever. It's a joy to share that gift with you here on Sharper Iron every weekday morning. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.